recruiting is heating up just as the temperatures are heating up. We'll talk about what's going on on the recruiting front as well as is Oklahoma or Texas in a better spot heading into the SEC. We'll talk about that on tonight's episode of Locked On Sooners Live. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners Live. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. It's good to have us all back together as we wind down the offseason, get ready for fall camp. But Josh, it's always recruiting season and the Oklahoma Sooners are starting to make a little noise, a little trending action for a couple of 2024 offensive line targets. Now, Eugene Brooks, the rivals four star prospect out of California, who has been heavily projected to Oklahoma, is going to be making his commitment Tuesday morning, 9 a.m. And everything looks like it's going to be Oklahoma over Texas on that front. Uh, we can talk about him. And then there's also Edmund Santa Fe's Josh Isosa, a three-star offensive tackle prospect that is the number 13 prospect in the state of Oklahoma that Oklahoma, again, is trending very heavily toward. Now, yes, not the blue chip prospects, but again, Bill Biedenboe likes you. You got to have something to you. Well, first off, it's uh, it's great to see you again, my friend. How has uh, how has everything been going? Uh, you know, everything uh, has been going. Um, you know, for those who don't follow my personal account on Twitter, we had a incredible scare um, Sunday night, um, and we can get a little personal for a second. Uh, this is why we didn't have a show last night. But uh, my my son, two years old, almost three, was choking on a piece of cantaloupe, like literally choking. And, um, we, yeah, it got really, 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 really tenuous. It was really sketchy there for a little bit. Um, thankfully after a few minutes of the Heimlich and backs back pats and all that jazz, uh, after calling nine one one, we were able to get the cantaloupe out and he's all good. As soon as the cantaloupe popped out of his, out of his airway, he says, I'm all better. I'm all better. And he just reassured us that he was okay. And so we were super freaked out last night, but then at the same time, super relieved that we didn't have to go to the, the ER and didn't have to stay in the hospital. And it was, so that was a crazy Sunday night, but man, everything's good. I can't complain about anything because my baby boy is okay. So all's right in the Williams household tonight. Yeah, no, that I can't even imagine. And, you know, obviously uh, happy that, everything worked out. That's uh, that's pretty freaky. Uh, as, as, uh, as we shift back into, to doing this thing as a, as a duo here, obviously, uh, you know, before we talk offensive line, just the, uh, the excitement of a, a running back commit, right? Really just, you know, I guess I've missed quite a bit in the way of commitments for, uh, for Oklahoma, the momentum for OU. We said, you know, with this coaching staff, with Brent Venables, and his approach, the the June, the July months, those are going to be where Oklahoma makes its hay, 
on the recruiting trail. And, and over the last couple of uh, weeks, again, that has been proven true for Oklahoma and uh, in the way of the commitment that everybody wanted, right? Uh, a victory that is uh, larger than maybe the commitment itself, just given the fact that Taylor Tatum, you, you win that recruiting battle over USC. But, man, the, uh, the, the momentum for Oklahoma feels incredibly strong right now. And this class for OU, Britt Venables, John, uh, I, I don't know if it was you that tweeted it out or somebody that put this out into the, uh, the, the social media atmosphere. If it's Twitter, if it's uh, X.com, if it was Facebook, I, I don't know. It's social media, who knows? It was out there somewhere that uh, Brent Venables, the way this thing is tracking, potentially Oklahoma under Brent Venables is about to do something that it's not done in the modern recruiting era which is, uh, I mean, it feels like Oklahoma's trending toward another top five class. And I don't think OU's done that in, uh, again, the modern recruiting charting era, if you will, dating back to, you know, the advent of probably uh, 24-7 sports and rivals and so on and so forth. So, it, again, the, the momentum, the heat on the recruiting trail, this thing's real, John. And the momentum for Oklahoma, I've said it on every single platform that I get to have a platform. The only thing missing for Oklahoma is to go out and start winning double-figure football games and to go contend in the Big 12 Conference and to go win the Big 12 Conference. So I guess uh, in closing, since I've been away, maybe I need to go back on vacation again because things have been going great for <laughs> Oklahoma. No, they have been. I mean, since you've been gone, not to quote Kelly Clarkson, but Jaden Jackson committed, Zion Reagan's committed, Taylor Tatum committed. It's it's all looking positive uh, based on things we're hearing, the buzz we're hearing from guys like Parker Thune, Brandon Drum. The Georgia and Williams-Muneri marriage seems to be not as uh, possible as it once was. You know, the, the Georgia Bulldogs it was seemingly thinking that they were going to be, you know, one of the teams that could contend – with Oklahoma for Winery, and that's not really going to be the case. Um, everything's trending in a great direction for Winery, for David Stone, uh, for these offensive linemen we're about to talk about. And, you know, as much as it seemed like Dominic McKinley was kind of a long shot potential commitment, I mean, they're, they're making headway on that. Like all things are positive vibes right now. And, and you're absolutely right. Like, Everything that they're doing on the recruiting trail, it's fantastic. Now all they got to do is go win games. And I think it brings up a great question for maybe another show or maybe even just right now. Like, do we have enough patience to let these, you know, the 2023, 2024 recruiting class get to their junior years before we start really wondering about Brent Venables and his coaching staff? Like what, you know, because the on-field product in 2022 wasn't great. Go six and seven. It's not good enough. Brent Venables, he's told you it's not good enough. Oklahoma fans will tell you it's not good enough. Okay. If they only go seven and five this year, I, I think most of us would see that as a disappointing season, but would it be enough to want to change directions and change course? Because I mean, everything they're doing off the field is right. They're, they're putting together a great culture. They're putting together great recruiting classes and yet so far, if again, this is big hypothetical long term thinking, if they don't win this year, are we going to be concerned or are we just going to be like, hey, let's let it play out. Let's let these guys get on campus. Let's let these guys get, you know, through their sophomore, junior years and let Brent Venables get to there before we really start panicking. 
because we're still dealing. I mean, he talked about it at Big 12 Media Days. There was so much turnover over the last two years. What was it? 75% of their, their roster right now wasn't on this team two years ago. So there's so much turnover going. I'm not saying I'd be satisfied with seven and five. I'd be very disappointed, but I don't think I'd be ready to shove Brent Venables out the door just yet. You know, uh, assuming that Oklahoma does what it feels like they're tracking to do. I, I David Stone to me is going to be in this signing class for Oklahoma. Uh, there's a, you know, other names. Winery would be uh, one of the chief names for Oklahoma in this uh, in this potential signing class for OU if Oklahoma signs the type of class John that uh, it feels like it's going to sign yeah I mean look I, I don't want to because it's Oklahoma football and I've said this I said I, I said this last season when things were going poorly this is like it's like Kansas basketball or Duke basketball or North Carolina basketball or any blue blood football program, right? When things go bad, it doesn't, you don't just, you know, clap your hands and there's a, a magical get out of jail free card for it because of the expectations of the type of program that you've got. But having said that, yeah, I, I mean, look, I don't, I don't want to say that 2023 is not important. Obviously it is. And obviously it would be better for Oklahoma if they start winning and winning big right here, right now. But assuming that they finish with the type of class that we think they're going to John, just to answer your question again, don't want to live in the land of hypotheticals where things don't go great in 2023. I think things are going to go very, very positively for Oklahoma, but if they don't no, Brent Venables and this staff is in no danger John, until they get into the SEC because of how well they've recruited, in my opinion. Well, and because so much of what Brent Venables was brought here to do was help transition this team into the SEC. You don't pull the plug after two years. You don't pull the plug, especially after two years in a long-term rebuild where you're trying to build everything from the foundation up. I mean, this is this is where we're at. I mean, yes, okay, eight wins, nine wins, ten wins, whatever the wins are. At the same time, I feel like Brent Venables is going to get time. I don't think Joe Castiglione is going to be in any hurry to change things if things go poorly for whatever reason. I don't think anybody here on our show or in the chat thinks that's going to be the case. I think most everybody is pretty optimistic about Oklahoma's future in 2023 and what they're going to be able to do with the schedule because it is very favorable, at least on paper. At the same time, I mean, what they're doing on the recruiting show, man, it just has to have you pumped and excited for 24, 25, 26, because these two classes, I mean, I'll even go back to 2022 that we're going to start seeing more of this year with a guy like Gentry Williams, getting more playing time, R. Mason Thomas, getting more time, Grayson Halton, getting more time. You might see Robert Spears Jennings getting more time. Like that class is going to start being significant contributors to this team in 2023. And yet that's not even near the talent level that they've got coming in the 2023 signing class, the 2024 signing class. And then who knows with 2025, I mean, they're, they're stacking classes and that's what you're going to have to do to contend in the sec is stack classes. It's what Georgia's done. Alabama's done. And if Oklahoma can stack top five, top five, top five classes year after year, they're going to be right in the thick of it in contention for sec titles, national championships. It's all going to be right in front of Oklahoma. 
We'll have more to talk about on this front. Uh, there's a really interesting article in The Athletic that I thought was was fascinating that we should probably bring up as well. Uh, we'll talk about that here in a second, uh, as well as the offensive lineman that Oklahoma's trending for, what's coming up on the commitment timeline, and uh, is Texas better off than Oklahoma? Mm, we'll see about that. Uh, first, folks, let's talk to you all about our friends over at eBay Motors. Uh, eBay Motors, it gets you all the right parts that you need right on time, guaranteed, over at ebaymotors.com. For every, for every championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right. The first time around, just add your ride to My Garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So we're still talking recruiting. We're still talking um you know, Oklahoma's future move to the SEC. So let's talk recruiting real quick, Josh. Let's just talk about what's going on on the offensive line front. And all of our recruiting segments are brought to you by our friends over at LinkedIn. LinkedIn gets you the right candidates for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions apply. So Josh Isosa, the Edmund Santa Fe product uh, was projected to Oklahoma last week. Picked up another prediction for him this week on Monday. So it seems like everything's trending toward Oklahoma. Now you look at his offer sheet and it's not a bunch of power five schools. Oklahoma is easily the most significant offer on his offer list. At the same time, you got to start somewhere, right? And you got to kind of build an offer sheet from, from something. And at least you get this Oklahoma offer. I think that says something. And again, it comes back to Bill Biedenboe. If you trust Bill Biedenboe, you trust his offers. I mean, he's a three-star product and in, in, uh, or prospect in some places, not ranked in some other places. Uh, but you look at what he puts on huddle, and you like what he's got to got to do. He's a really strong player, physical player. Looks to maul you. He's not he's not playing around when he's playing offensive tackle. He's wanting to put guys on the ground. Well, because Oklahoma has had success out of the transfer portal, and because I think that offensive line. Now, some folks might take me to task a little bit on, in, in this regard that you're not winning national championships out of transfer portal offensive linemen, and, and that may or may not be true, John. But I do think that Oklahoma has shown you can go find very quality offensive linemen out of the transfer portal. I think Oklahoma's two starting tackles will fit that capacity out of the transfer portal. You, you got Rouse and you got Guyton. Uh, in that variety. And oh, by the way, you went and got Schaefer. I mean, you've done, you've helped yourself a lot over the last couple of years out of the, the transfer portal with, uh, with offensive linemen. So again, is that how you're winning national championships? No, you probably want to be landing the Caden greens of the world and on and on and on. And several of the names that frankly, Oklahoma's missed on in this class. But when, uh, when that happens, you have to have a plan B and let's hope that Isosa is somebody 
in state that understands what it means to put on the crimson and cream, right? A uh, three star that uh, just wants to develop, develop, and does have you know legitimate offers. Uh, has has the Iowa State offer, right? Has the Tulsa offer, and, and hopefully this is somebody that just gets better and better as uh, as you go because that happens too, right? I, I mean, I don't think that there, there's no one size fits all to recruiting. Obviously, it would probably alleviate some stress for some if uh, you had more of the four-star, five-star variety uh, along the offensive line on a more routine basis. But in the meantime, I think you can take a couple of in-state chances, John, especially, I mean, frankly, at this point, again, you're backed up into the corner where you have to do a little bit of that if you're Oklahoma. And and Isosa is somebody that, look, 6'3", 6'4", 305 pounds. I mean, this is somebody that is only going to get bigger, right? Is only going to get, develop and get better with Coach Beatenbow. And Beatenbow, really, for the most part, that's kind of been the M.O., is uh, is take some guys and develop them and then go uh, find other names out of the transfer portal. Again, would like to start mixing and matching a little bit more in terms of the blue chip variety. If you're Oklahoma, they have to do better there. I mean, I think that would be – it feels like when the dust ultimately settles on this class, that's probably going to be OU fans' biggest complaints is with offensive line, John. But, uh, look, if you tell me that you get Isosa and then you, you tell me that you're going to wind up with Eugene Brooks – and, uh, well, you've already got uh, Autry in this class for Oklahoma. I think ultimately it's it's going to be, a, you know, a nice little offensive line haul. And let's see what they do out of the transfer portal. Oklahoma's already taught us they're going to be successful along the offensive line in the transfer portal. And I just think in general, John. Well, and we still have a bunch of the 2022, 2023 guys that we haven't seen yet. You know, you mentioned Caden Green. Well, those are the Heath Ozida, the, the um, Logan Howland. You know, Josh Bates, our dude, friend of the show, Joshua Bates. Like, there's still a lot of guys that haven't had a chance yet to, to show themselves. You talk about the 2022 guys, uh, the Jake Taylor, Jacob Sextons. There, there's a lot of really intriguing prospects on the Oklahoma depth chart that haven't really played yet. And so there's, yeah, you want to see them take more four or five-star offensive linemen, and you want to add as much competition to the class as you can. At the same time, you have a lot of really solid players to work with and, and to begin developing. I think this is going to be a class that does end up with at least one blue chip prospect. I mean, if you look at uh, you know rivals, Eugene Brooks is a four-star player. Um, Isaiah Autry, he's a guy that's going to be on the climb. And I think Josh Isosa is going to be somebody that's climbing as well because you know I, I think what we see a lot of times is some of these you know, Oklahoma kids where it's not a heavily recruited place or heavily evaluated place by these national recruiting analysts, they fly under the radar a little bit. The same could be said for a Kansas kid or a Nebraska kid. You know, they're not hotbeds. They're not Florida, Texas, California, Ohio. And so there might fly under the, the radar. North Carolina is one that's growing a little bit too. So just because he's a three-star prospect out of, you know, Edmond, North of Oklahoma city, doesn't mean that he's a bad player. It just means that I mean, it, it could very well easily mean that Josh Isosa is just somebody who hasn't been evaluated by enough people to get a four a fourth star. Because what I see on tape is a very physical dude that Oklahoma fans would love to have playing tackle or guard for them at the collegiate level. So we get to know about Eugene Brooks, what his decision is going to be on Tuesday morning. I mean, he's he's not wasting any time. He's nine a.m. is what he said, and I'm. I'm guessing that's 9 a.m. Pacific time, so it's going to be 11 a.m. Central time. Uh, but be on the lookout for that. Um, we'll we'll have you you know covered on that with the show. We'll react to it um, as well. But uh, 
I thought a really interesting article from The Athletic, Josh, by Seth Wasserman. Um, he ranked the future SEC into tiers and um, had five teams that he considered championship caliber teams that were going to be in the future SEC. Now, I know you can guess probably three of those teams, Alabama, Georgia, LSU. Who do you think the other two teams might have been, Josh? Other championship teams? Caliber championship caliber teams. Well, the future I, I, SEC. I'm going to assume that Oklahoma is uh, one of those championship caliber teams. Yep. And uh, and then beyond that, how about Tennessee? I mean, Tennessee's got some momentum. They had Tennessee a tier below in the in the second tier, but it was Texas alongside Oklahoma, Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. And listen, I'll be honest. When I wrote this article for for Sooners Wire, I I even thought that putting Oklahoma in that tier was a little bit favorable. was a little gracious. I love Oklahoma. I think they're going, they're on a great direction, a great trajectory with Brent Venables, Todd Bates, this whole, this whole coaching staff, Jeff Levy. I think it's, they're on the right track, but given they've never won a college football playoff game, given their what now four season, three seasons removed from their last trip to the college football playoff. Didn't go in 20. Didn't go in 21, didn't go in 22. I have a hard time putting them in that same tier with Alabama, who's easily the best program of the last 15 years. Georgia, who's been the most dominant program in the last two years, last two, three years. And then LSU, who had arguably the greatest season of all time, at least offensively, with Joe Burrow at the helm. I Listen, Oklahoma was really good in the 2010 to 2019 period especially those last six years when they won big 12 championships, but I'm a little hesitant to put them on that same level. You know, I'd probably put them back a tier with the Tennessee's, the Florida's, the Auburn, um, well, Tennessee, Auburn, Florida. Um, I feel like there was at least one more team in there that I felt like Oklahoma was kind of more in that stratus right now. Um, not to say that they can't get to where Alabama's at or can't get to where Georgia's at. It's just that right now that's, that's a little rich for me. Yeah. And, and I would probably say for me, I, I don't think LSU is in that category either, not right now. by the way, you know, I mean, basically to me, you've got Georgia and Alabama are in their own category and I wouldn't put anybody else in the sec in that category. I know Tennessee, Beat Alabama last season, but uh, you, you've got to show me that you're more than a one-hit wonder before I start you know, thinking of you in that variety. Same goes for LSU, right, who, oh, by the way, beats Alabama and then turns around and drops an absolute stinker to Texas A&M. So, you know, to me, it's Alabama and Georgia would be in that regard. And then, uh, and then you've got that, that next group that wants to break in. LSU, okay, yeah, they had a, a one-off season where they went and won a national championship with a historic quarterback and historic wide receivers and a defense that, you know, going into that college football playoff was uh, probably criminally underrated, how talented uh, that defense was for LSU. But let's not act like LSU's been doing that on a year-in, year-out basis too. So, so for me, even though LSU's won a national championship recently and it's been a program that, what, each of the last three head coaches – have won national championships at LSU. To me, you know, I, I'm not going to put them in the same category as Alabama or Georgia. Those two cut above, and everybody else 
LSU, Oklahoma, Texas, Florida, Tennessee, uh, you know, schools like Auburn, Arkansas, I think I would boom put uh, in a, a different category from, you know, the LSU's, Oklahoma's, Texas's other world. Th- those would be in that next tier down. And that's, that's been who Oklahoma has been, John. I mean, that's why Oklahoma in part, not just financially driven, though obviously financial viability and protecting your future, of course. I mean, let's not be unrealistic or unfair about it. Of course, that was part of the jump to the SEC. But part of the jump to the SEC, John, was how do we get to that Alabama tier? How do we get to that Georgia tier? And frankly, part of it is just being in the SEC, right? We, we saw it with Taylor Tatum and his commitment the other day that it was – getting to be again a part of the sec and in the sec and playing baseball and football in the sec oklahoma joining that and seeing that on a regular basis we know that they haven't been in that top tier they've been one rung down they've gotten to the college football playoff but they haven't won when they've been there and again this is why this is why they want to be in the sec so they can find out okay uh, we just beat alabama we just beat georgia yes we're ready to go win a national championship yeah, I'd agree with all of that. I think Oklahoma's heading in that direction. I believe in what Brent Venables is building. I just don't think that they're at that spot just yet. And Kyle, to clarify here over on YouTube, he says, but if you put us in the bottom tier of the SEC, you're saying the program is at their levels. It just doesn't make sense. No, no, no. We're not putting them in the bottom tier. We're putting them in the second tier. So I'll find the article real quick, but it was, uh, I believe it was five tiers. There was only one team in the bottom tier, and that was Vanderbilt. Um, the only... Let's see. Oklahoma was in a tier with, um, sorry for doing bad podcasting on the fly here. I should have had this pulled up before preparation, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. So championship caliber, be consistent, realistic contender for a championship. This is Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Texas, Oklahoma playoff caliber, be in playoff or in serious contention consistently. This group was Texas A&M, Florida, Tennessee, Auburn. I would not put Texas A&M in that category. Tennessee, yeah. Florida, I feel like they've been a solid second-tier team in the SEC for most of the last decade after their Tim Tebow um, tenure. Sorry, Richard. I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm just trying to be realistic here. I love Oklahoma. I think they're going to do great things. But if we're saying – like, it's like saying I love Dak Prescott. He's a great quarterback. But I'd – I recognize that he's not Patrick Mahomes. I feel like that's fair to say. I love Oklahoma. I think they're on a great trajectory. I don't think that they're Alabama or Georgia. Right now. Could they be Alabama or Georgia? Absolutely. Well, and we think that that's where they're going. And that's why I say to me, again, uh, cycling back to kind of how we opened tonight with some of the recent commitments and the way they're recruiting. And you don't want to say that 2023 is not important. Every game, every weekend, every season is vitally important, right? And it's all connected. And you do worry that, okay, uh, will you continue to keep recruiting if you're not winning? But to me, it's like if I'm evaluating Brent Venables and his staff, to some degree, I mean, obviously it's all about winning. It's I, I get it. It's all about what happens this season. And I do think, again, it's going to be incredibly successful for Oklahoma. And I think they're going to give the Big 12 a parting gift and a reminder, okay, that's right. This is who Oklahoma is, the, the program that's dominated this conference. But if that doesn't happen, you still have to feel, I think, positive leaving this season 
if things recruiting wise go the way that they're going for Oklahoma. And you said something earlier that I thought was, was interesting about young talent lost in translation of the whole uh, media driven Brent Venables versus Deion Sanders was some breadcrumbs that I thought that Brent Venables put out there that were sort of interesting, right? So just in before we fall into that tangent and trap of the Dion thing, I'm just here to say this. He, he makes the comment, Brent does, that, hey, we did it a little bit different, right? I wasn't handing out pink slips, which is true. But Brent Venables in the same breath, John, has been talking about, you know, one of the mistakes maybe I made last season was we didn't play the young players quickly enough, right? So I look at that and I hear Brent saying, okay, well, we operated differently than the way Dion is operating right here, right now in year one. And yet on the other hand, Brent's basically told you as well, hmm, you know, at times maybe that was a mistake for Oklahoma in uh, 2022. So with all of that being said, you you said, okay, well, are we going to be patient? Is every, everybody going to wait for Peyton Bowen in his junior season? And that was just an example. I know you're just like talented young freshmen and recent signees that you're pointing to. I don't think we're going to have to wait as long going forward for Brent Venables in Oklahoma to play and see some of these freshmen and youngsters. And I think Brent Venables has been knocking on the door telling us, hey, get ready. The new wave, the talented wave, it's here. It's on campus right now. And these guys are going to play, and we learned that last year. And I think that's also a, a bit of a shot across the bow at the veterans on his team. That, hey, listen, I'm not going to be – as conservative about playing my younger guys. So, you know, I'm not playing Danny Stutzman 990 something snaps this year. He's not going to be one of the most uh, used players in college football. Like he was last year. Remember only two players played more snaps on defense than Danny Stutzman did a year ago. That's not going to happen this year, even though the depth at linebacker isn't experienced and it's young. I think you're going to still see a heavier rotation because they're going to have a little bit more faith in their second year linebackers like Kobe McKenzie, Kip Lewis, Jaron Kanick. You're going to see those guys play more. I thought some great uh, comments about Connor near were encouraging from Brent Venables. Like this is a guy who was brought here because he knows how to lead a football team. He knows what championship football looks like. He's a, an accountable player that wants to be coached hard. So you've already got improved depth than what you had a year ago. So the linebacker crew is going to be much, much better because he's going to be more willing to play those young guys. I don't know if I've heard a coach or at least heard Brent Venable speak as glowingly about a guy as I've heard him speak about Lewis Carter. Like Lewis Carter just got on campus and Brent Venables has been blowing him up and hyping him up for like six months. So look for that guy to see the field. Even if it's just in a special team sense, I think they're going to get him on the field and get him playing because they know like, the guys that they're bringing in are going to be really good football players. They're going to be smart. They're going to have good mental toughness, good toughness, good physicality. They're going to play fast. Things are looking up. I think that's going to be the case across the board. You're going to see Peyton Bowen play a lot because there's a reason to play him a lot. He's a good player. And I mean, it's good to get these guys rotating and keeping them fresh in a conference. That's going to run a lot of plays and teams are going to throw the football a lot. You want, to have a group of safeties that you can feel comfortable going four deep at the position if you need to, or cornerback, you know, you might see a Josiah Wagner because again, a guy that's been hyped up so much by the coaching staff over the last six, seven months that he's going to see the field. It's just inevitable because everybody's been talking about how good he's been so far. Dylan Gabriel's talked about it. Brent Venables has talked about it. Jay Vali has talked about it. Everybody's talking about these young guys 
on this team, Adipoja Adabari. Like, there's no reason why we're not going to see him because he's just showing out all camp long. You know, Ashton Sanders was also a name that people brought up as well. So there's going to be young guys that get time on the field. And I don't think they're going to be so concerned about, you know, whether, you know, Sean's talking about whether they make mistakes or not. I think they're going to be a little bit more free, a little bit more gracious. And the other thing that came out of Big 12 Media Days that I think Brent Venables and Danny Stutzman reiterated was they just have better leadership. Team, you know, guys that are going to be able to teach the young guys the defense and they're not going to be so reliant on the coaching staff for everybody to get up to speed offensively or defensively. And so you're going to have a better transition for the younger guys because the older guys are going to be able to help them transition into the team, be a, be a bigger factor in practice and be a bigger factor on game days. So full transparency here. Is this dumb? Okay. This is a great way to lead into a topic, right? <laughs> is this dumb? One of the uh, one of the other things that really was, I feel like, a big talking point for Oklahoma at Big Twelve Media Days was did not finish well. Fourth quarters were not good for Oklahoma, and mentally for me, where I like have gone to with this is yes, correct, accurate. Oklahoma has to be better in fourth quarters, right? They uh, they did not make winning plays when it was win or lose time, right? When it was crunch time, when it was fourth quarters, Oklahoma was a losing football team. We've got all of that ironed out, right? The close game luck, if you will, in the final Lincoln Riley season, boom, reversed in the first Brent Venable season. One thing, and I get it, you know, Danny Stutzman and Drake Stoops and everybody, Oklahoma's contingent, they're, they're, reiterating what Brent Venables and this coaching staff is telling them. And they're right. They have to be better in key situations, John, but, and you're not going to go to media days and say this, but Oklahoma has got to be better for four quarters next season, John, like the idea that, OU just magically needs to play better in fourth quarters. Well, no, part of what happened in 2021 is what came up and bit you in 2022 because you, you weren't a good enough football team across the board, even the year before that. So Oklahoma needs to get in the mindset of let's not let football games come down to fourth quarters anymore. Over the years, we've played way too many close football games in the Big 12 Conference. And as we make this transition, as we make this jump into the SEC, if I'm Oklahoma and I'm a part of this program, guys, enough of playing close football games in the Big 12 Conference. It's time to go out and dominate this league old school style, like you used to do in the 2000s, early 2000s on the way out the door. So again, I get it. Danny Stutzman and company's not going to go in there and ruffle feathers and disrespect uh, the opponents in this conference. But I hope behind closed doors, there's some of that upstairs too, to where it's not, hey, we just got to go win close games in the fourth quarter. No, you need to get yourself out of those situations in the fourth quarter. The Texas Tech game is the one that comes to mind. You got up huge on Tech in Lubbock. Like took the crowd completely out of it and then proceeded to let him back into it uh, just with poor defense. But the offense also wasn't sustaining drives to keep the, uh, the defense off the field. And I mean, that's, that's kind of what it comes down to is this team over the last few years under Lincoln Riley last year under Brent Venables, they might get up big and then they let teams back into it. Kansas, I feel like is a, is a prime example of that too. I feel like they got up in, in a good way against the Jayhawks and then the Jayhawks kind of slowly climbed back into it. So yeah, you're absolutely right, man. You, you got to be good early 
and completely take teams out of the game. Like that game against tech in the mid two thousands, that would have been a 63 to seven walloping or, you know, 63 to 21 finish, but they, they just didn't finish the game. They got up big and they, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't close it out. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, they, they, come... they didn't finish the half, John. Right. Right. It was just a poor, poor performance. Like the second quarter was awful, just absolutely awful. Uh, and so, yeah, they, they have to be better at, and this comes back to a little bit of coaching philosophy and how they manage games too. You get up big on teams, then you need to start milking the clock a little bit and not have one minute drives where you go three and out. You can't do that. You got to start playing a little bit more situational football and the defense has to take advantage of a big lead. The offense gives them and not give the opposing offense any kind of life at all. But yet that's what happened last year. Again, all of it's going to get better. We believe everything's better than it was a year ago. And they're going to be able to slow these teams down. They're going to make more plays on third down, which again was their Achilles heel. And if they can do that, just be better on third down, they're going to be a much better defense. This team's going to win more games and it's going to look a lot different than it did last year, 2021, where we're just hoping that they hold on to win a football game. Yeah. I'm excited to watch so many pieces of this season unfold. Uh, we, uh, we, we've got our locked on Sooners discord, which maybe we can tweet that out and just invite everybody. If you want to keep the conversation going, we can do a better job over there, but we want to want to get that thing off the ground and running. And one of the questions we, well, the question we talked about today was who are the breakout guys, right? Nice little summer off season piece. And I've said it, I've said it, I've said it, and I'll keep coming back to it. The, the breakout guy for me, that's a slam dunk is Gavin Sawchuck, the way that he's going to run the football this season. But I, I'm just interested to see, Oklahoma the way that this team maybe because of how well they ran it versus Florida State in that cheese it bowl John and because of the way that they keep recruiting talented running backs like Javante Barnes like Sawchuck oh by the way you've got Hicks you've got Smothers you've got Major you've got uh, Mr. Tatum on the way you've got Xavier Robinson on the way so the DNA of this uh, Oklahoma program I would love to see early in the season as you're trying to iron some things out with this wide receiver core, John, if the, if the fabric and the makeup of Oklahoma is this offensive line is just going to maul guys up front in the trenches. Hey, I'm here for it, baby. We don't have to go throw for 350 yards every week. Just go beat people up front. And I think that's a lot of what they're going to do this year. Uh, I've talked about it on the live show. I talked about it later or sometime last week where I really think that one way in which they're going to mitigate, some of the question marks at wide receiver at along the offensive line is they're going to run the football. They're going to run it a lot. We saw that they wanted to run the football a lot last year. They just didn't necessarily have all the horses in the stable that they wanted. Yeah. He had Eric Gray and had a great season, but you're breaking in true freshman Javante Barnes didn't really get Gavin Sawcheck going yet. Marcus major was in and out of the lineup. Tommy Walker. I mean, he was, he was transitioning to the team as well. So you didn't really feel like you could go four deep and run the football 35, 40 times a game. But I think that that's what they're going to try to do. I think the Florida state game gave them a really nice template for how they could manage the football game and getting Gavin Saja, Javante Barnes, 30 to 35 carries a game. I think that's a winning strategy because if you ask any offensive lineman ever to play the sport, what they'd rather do pass block or run block, they're going to tell you run block. The best way to build cohesion 
get them doing something that's a little bit easier for them to do when they're having a pass block. They don't get to be the aggressor as much as if they are being able to, or as much as they can when run blocking. So I think they're going to just run the football more. They're going to lean on that running game a little bit more. And I think that's going to be a, a benefit they're, they're going to benefit the entire offense and on, and the defense by running the football more. And that's why when I tweeted out on the locked on Sooners Twitter account that Oklahoma is going to have a pair of thousand yard rushers this year, it's because I really believe that they're going to lean heavily on the run game this year. A lot of folks, uh, team DJ Graham, I see in the comments. Yeah. Who always uh, DJ Graham? <laughs> well, he's an easy guy to like, you know, I DJ mean, Graham forever. Uh, easy yes uh easy guy to like has been around the block and you know it, it, it'd be a, a heck of a story if he's a difference maker for oklahoma at wide receiver and you know one interception one interception would indicate that oh yeah he's he, he got the hands right to uh to go be special at wide receiver and there's a need for oklahoma at wide receiver so how all of that position group you know shakes out is really really going to be interesting for oklahoma you start thinking about just most interesting position groups and wide receiver would be uh, right at the front of the list. Uh, what, what else would be toward the top of that list? I know we got to close with uh, some of these topics that are in fact on today's docket for the show, but uh, I mean, who else, what other position groups uh, intrigue you? I mean, I think cornerback is still the, is still one where we have a little bit of question mark and, and John Armstrong asked, does Gentry Williams have a chance to start at the second cornerback position next to Woody? I think so. I think he's going to be the starter. I really do. I think the athletic capabilities, his ability to play the football in the air and just kind of, I like his tenacity a little bit. You know, I think he's going to be a guy that brings an edge to the secondary, which is something that they need. They need somebody that has a little bit of swagger to him. You know what I mean? Like don't throw on me. Uh, you're not going to throw on me and they're going to have to go another direction. Cause he's going to just shut down the other side of the field. I think Gentry Williams brings that swagger to the team. So I think, you know, the cornerback position is still very fascinating uh, because I do think they're going to rely on some of their younger guys like Josiah Wagner, Makari Vickers, Peyton Bowen. I think they're going to bring some of those to the table. Uh, Mark Hampton says, I'm thinking we're going to see our linebacker crew blow up. These boys are hungry. Couldn't agree more. I mean, it really could be the best position group on this roster. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, you know, some people would tell you that some questions at linebacker, right? But I don't know that it would be, it's not the position group, offensive line still, wide receiver, you mentioned corner. Those would be uh, top of the, we have maybe a, a couple of questions or two. I think Oklahoma fans are just, and I, I'm right there with you. I can't wait to watch this linebacking core. I mean, the way that they've recruited there, the fact that you went and got McCullough out of the transfer portal, it it feels like, like safety, John, that it could be a position group that overnight is uh, is night and day different. And, oh, by the way, Danny Stutzman was, you know, arguably the best linebacker in the Big 12 last season or on that short list. So all of a sudden you think about pairing Stutzman with uh Canick on the rise or Carter or on and on and on in McCullough, who we, we feel really good about. It's, it's pretty exciting to think about just what this, that's, that's the big thing, right? Linebacker corner defensive line, how much have they addressed via the transfer portal there, but just the collective 
cumulative defensive uh, reshaping, reimagining for Oklahoma and for Brent Venables because year one, year two, year three, you've heard me go on this soapbox, John, but year one for Brent Venables at Clemson, I don't know if you guys have gone back and looked at the stats, but uh, not necessarily beautiful for Brent Venables and company at Clemson year two. Okay, uh, top 25 scoring, top uh, 15 scoring defense total. Year three, number one nationally, uh, basically in both categories. So that's that's that trajectory we have to see with Oklahoma defensively this season. And it's going to be fun to watch it unfold. It really will be. And again, the linebacker crew is going to be something to – it's going to be a lot of fun to watch because Stutzman, McCullough, Canick, Kobe McKenzie, Connor Neer, Kip Lewis, Sam Omasigo, Lewis Carter, Phil Picciotti. I mean, that's a really, really nice group of backers right there. And then you got a guy like Shane Whittier, who's a veteran on this team that offers you something, at least as a rotational linebacker with experience. And, and yeah, he might not be the most exciting name anymore because we've seen him around for so long, but again, it's a guy with experience, a guy that you can throw out there and trust he's going to do his job. So just a really, really nice group. Last couple of things that we're going to touch on before we get out of here. Uh, Oklahoma is still in pursuit of a second quarterback in the 2024 recruiting cycle, uh, going after a Northwestern commit and Brendan Zerber, Zerbrug, pardon me for the mispronunciation, Zerbrug. Um, sounds like somebody off of uh, Futurama, but a uh, three-star quarterback out of Ohio He's the number 55 quarterback in the class, number 36 player in the or in Ohio in the 247 sports composite. Um, has a you know an interesting list of you know he's got Northwestern who he's committed to, but then a lot of and then Syracuse and then some group of five teams: Ball State, Bowling Green, Miami of Ohio, Toledo. One thing that's I, that I find interesting is if a MAC team is offering you, you probably can sling it a little bit. Uh, Zoidberg, by the way, the uh, Futurama <laughs> crew go. member that uh, you were re- referring to there, right. which uh, appreciate our friends over at Hulu for uh, reviving uh, Futurama. Uh, very much appreciated. Yeah, obviously, uh, Oklahoma of late with the offer to Trevor Jackson and now to uh, Brendan Zoidberg here. The uh, the Sooners clearly very much in the mix to uh, to try and bring in another quarterback. I mean, that's uh, that's pretty obvious. And, and oh, by the way, I, I don't know. Uh, I think you mentioned this, but Northwestern commit uh, Zer- yes. Zerbrug is uh, right now. So three star kid, six four, buck eighty five is what he's listed on twenty four seven Sports uh, out of Ohio Alliance High School in Ohio. So I mean, seems pretty obvious. O- Oklahoma's dead set on trying to get a second quarterback commit in this class to go along with uh with Hawkins and yes, uh Keaton. <laughs> woo woo woo. Um I-, I just find I just find that whole thing fascinating. And again, I know Brent Venables is not concerned about adding competition to his recruiting classes, but I just find it fascinating that they're going to take on a second quarterback, um, especially after, you know, the Michael Hawkins thing was so kind of heavily publicized and the recruitment came down to him and TC or Oklahoma and TCU, but man, Hey, add talent where you can add talent and don't apologize for it. Um, and Michael Hawkins doesn't seem to be concerned about Oklahoma adding a second quarterback in the class. Another really interesting uh, note that came out over the last few days was uh, over from the, the Paul Feinbaum show they had on Tex Ags Billy Lucci um, on Monday, and they asked noted Homer, yeah, noted Aggie Homer, uh, 
who is better prepared to, for the move to the SEC, Oklahoma or Texas? And here's what one Mr. Lucci said. Texas is doing a heck of a lot better. My words, not his. A heck of a lot better job than OU in terms of preparing to come into this league. Sooner fans are in for the rudest awakening because they've been going, except last year, 10-2, and 11-1, making the playoffs. They've been doing that because they've been doing it against the Big 12. Um, okay. Uh, sure, yeah, we didn't make the playoff or win the Big 12 last year, but tell me how Texas is better prepared for the SEC than Oklahoma because they won two more games than the Sooners last year. They're somehow in a much better situation than Oklahoma is right now heading into the SEC in 2024. I don't have a good explanation for you. And oh, by the way, I just have a tough time. Uh, anybody from Texas A&M lecturing uh, Oklahoma on anything football related. D did y'all forget what life was like in the big 12 when you guys were a part of this conference, this lousy conference that you want to dump all over that. Yeah. Oklahoma has its uh, reservations about this league and understands that in order to go capture what is a realistic goal, for a program like Oklahoma, because I don't know, they've won a national championship since, uh, I don't know, World War II or before it, uh, something Texas A&M wouldn't know anything about. Uh, but because Oklahoma has realistic expectations to go capture a national championship, uh, you know, yes, they would like to go challenge themselves in the SEC, but magically – uh, A&M, because of one Johnny Manziel Cotton Bowl, they want to run their mouth about Texas is better prepared or this or that. Who is a anybody from A&M? We do not trust your opinion on college football. Get out of here. No. And listen, I get that Texas is looking like he's gonna, they're going to have a great season this year. And they got the Arch Manning hype taking him into the SEC. But come on. Aside from that, aside from they're the hype team in the Big 12, aside from Arch Manning, do you really trust them to go and, and have a better showing in, in the SEC than Oklahoma? I don't. They haven't had a better showing against the Big 12 than Oklahoma for what, a decade and a half? They, they haven't. And while Texas is on the rise, they're a team that's improving this doesn't seem like a team that's ready to just get into the sec and take off. I think Oklahoma's got improving. They've got to do, but I still feel like they're in a much better situation moving forward than the Texas Longhorns, especially with what Brent Venables is recruiting on the defensive side of the football, especially with what they're doing in the 2024 class on the defensive side of the football on the defensive line. This is to me, it's, it's not even close. I really think Oklahoma is going to be going into the sec much better prepared because who has the most uh, success in his back pocket against the SEC? Brent Venables. Can claim two national championship wins over SEC teams. Can claim a host of recruiting wins over SEC teams from, over, of prospects from the Southeast from his time at Clemson. So I think this is a time where we think, okay, let's, let's be realistic. Texas, yes, a team on the rise, but don't mistake th that with the fact that they're better prepared for life in the SEC than Oklahoma. Just to uh, real quickly uh, in closing here, 
1999, 51 to 6, 2035 to 31, 2001, 31 to 10. Okay, we'll give you 2002, Texas A&M, 30 to 26, 77 to nothing. I don't know. Uh, uh, called off the dogs in the third quarter, still scored 77. 42 to 35, 04, 36 to 30, 05, 17, 16, 06, 42, 14, 07, 66, 28, uh, 08, 65, 10, 2009. Okay, we'll give you 2010 and 2011. 4125. So AM, uh, don't don't forget who you are in relation to Oklahoma before you run your mouth about Oklahoma's future. That being said, to the the question uh, at hand, John, Oklahoma and Texas, who's in better position? This will be the the buzz topic in SEC circles on a week like last week when it's SEC media days and you're getting asked, hey, how do Oklahoma and Texas fit into this league? And over the course of this next year. The reality is we're not going to know until after this season, probably we'll have a clearer picture, right? I mean, Texas, who has all this momentum and hype, Texas was not a double figure win team a season ago. Texas does not have a returning Heisman, you know, winning quarterback or a Heisman finalist quarterback or all these great things going for it. There's this momentum for Texas off really the back of Oklahoma, I think, having a disappointing season. So, Texas, you got to prove it to me this year that you can uh, rise up and match expectations. And let's reconvene after this season and find out who's better off going to the SEC by uh, year's end. Right now, I'm going to bank on Oklahoma because Oklahoma's been in a hell of a lot better position for the past quarter century. Yeah, and why would you doubt it? Why would you doubt the success that Brent Venables has had as a defensive coordinator for – two decades. Sark was a great offensive coordinator, but he hasn't proven it as a head coach. The only thing that makes Texas better off than Oklahoma right now is they're a year ahead of the rebuild retooling schedule. Sark's been there now for two seasons. Brent Venables just had his first. Let's see where they're at, you know, three, four years down the line. And then we can decide, okay, who had a better transition, but I really do think it's going to be Oklahoma that has a better transition. A few people asking about Jacoby Johnson and Eli Bowen, Jacoby Johnson. I mean, I want to say that he was a summer enrollee. And so maybe we won't see him as much early in the season, but you never know by season's end, he might be getting some snaps at, at cornerback, maybe even safety uh, for the Sooners. Eli Bowen. It's a great question. I think for the longest time, most people have just expected him to be an Oklahoma commit um, just because of the relationship with Peyton Bowen. But, I think everybody's kind of like waiting to see that that's actually going to transpire and play out before they just assume that one to give, you know, Eli a little bit of respect that he's definitely a, a, a blue chip talent in his own right. Uh, even apart from Peyton Bowen and he's somebody worth paying attention to across the country. So we'll see where that one, tra- will that, where that one goes. Um, hearing really positive news on Caden Durham in his recruitment. Now he's still just about a month out from his commitment date, uh, but everything is, everything's positive right now. I mean, Oklahoma is going to have a great party at the palace with a host of high profile targets and highly regarded prospects from across the country. And I mean, what's not to like right now about the Oklahoma Sooners, uh, the grant bricks thing. I haven't heard anything new recently on that. Josh, have you heard anything recent on, on grant bricks? No, uh, not really. And, you know, in some regards, uh, a little bit out of the loop for maybe the the last buck and a half. So I apologize for that. I'm catching back up to speed. But, 
kind of the last we heard was that Oklahoma wasn't totally out of the thing when others had thought they were dead. We can, you know, dive into it and try and figure out if there's any uh, new information there. You know, obviously you wouldn't categorize Oklahoma as the leader in that recruitment, but who knows, right? I mean, the way this thing is coming together for OU, everybody has to take a serious, long, hard look at Oklahoma, I would think, regardless of uh, my girlfriend attends this school or is planning attending uh, on attending this school. Uh, it's not that far away. And, oh, by the way, have you seen who else is coming to Norman, Oklahoma? Yeah, it's going to be a, a great class, another historic recruiting class in the 2024 cycle. Again, Eugene Brooks committing tomorrow, more than likely to Oklahoma, and uh, Michael Patterson-McDonald, committing on the 31st. There was some talk about Williams Muneri maybe committing on August 1st, but that seemed to have been tempered down a little bit. Uh, it's looking like David Stone um, sounds like, according to thing, the buzz out there, that he's going to commit maybe the first game of the season for IMG. Uh, and then Caden Durham is August 25th. So we still got a month left of really positive things that could be coming Oklahoma's way on the recruiting trail. And that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners Live. Thanks so much for joining us live here on Monday night, 9 p.m. Central Time every week. Follow Josh on Twitter at JoshOnRef. Follow myself at John9Williams. Make sure to join the Discord chat. Drop the link in the chat. We dropped it over on Twitter as well. We'll keep the conversation going over there uh, all the time. Every time you got questions, please post them over there. We'll throw up topics for y'all to discuss as well. Uh, follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Sooner. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Hit that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. But for Josh Helmer, I'm John Williams. We'll talk to you next time. Boomer Sooner. <laughs>